Rob, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Alan. Good to be here. Good afternoon, buddy. I'm happy to see you. I'm really excited to do this session with you. You yeah. are our 11th guest on the Ace List Live. Um, but I'm excited to see you because you and I are both chatterboxes. <laughs> I'm going to try and rein it in today. So. Watches, any watch, anything that ticks, talks, or displays time. So this promises to be a fun session. We're going to freestyle. We actually didn't prepare anything. Uh, we covered the classics for Fratello things with Robert Jan Boer. Of course, of course. Uh, I think we'll do Little Speedies, Little Speedy Tuesday, right? We covered that. Yeah, we can touch uh, on it if you like, but, you know, it's his it's his forte, not mine. Yeah. Um, usually I let my guests introduce themselves, but you are such a special guest and a friend to us that I want to introduce you. Uh, and you can fill in the blanks. So Rob Nudz is English. He lives in Germany right now. And you're in Dresden right now? I am in Dresden right now, yes. Yeah. You're in your office, right? In my office. Your office. Today, officially, your title is Managing Editor for yep. Fatello Watches. For now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for now. But you're way more than that. You're a watchmaker. I Yeah, so, I was. At WIS, you're a watch freak. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, thanks. Um, jolly guy, uh, fun loving guy, globetrotter. Been around. We became friends when we met at our first appointment ever in Basel World at the Nomos Glass at the Booth. Yeah, you got lucky that that email landed landed with me because I finally approved it. I didn't know who you were. You know, they've been they've been saying no, 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 no. No, no. We've oh, been guy. talking Nomos for years to get the dealership. People yeah. think that we are Nomos dealers for decades, uh, even from the beginning, and uh, they're less than 30 years young. But um, it's, I believe, only five years now only. But we have yeah. such deep passion for the brand and, and the watches. And I think you just started there as a brand manager, although you're a watchmaker. Yeah, I'd, I'd only been there for a month or two. I think I was completely, completely green to the network, and uh, you were the first, first big retailer we brought on board during my tenure. So, yeah, happy days. So, I worked out quite nicely. So we met you, Dal, and I came to visit Martina and you. I think we hit it off all four of us, and especially with you, and you really made a case for us to get the dealership that you guys even granted it on the fair. And it was it was a no brainer. I mean. And uh, arrange everything. So, so we owe you that. Then we had amazing fun when you visit us. You trained us. You have deep knowledge about watches. Anyways, about Anomos as well. And something that I'm super grateful. But we'll discuss that topic on our wrist check because I'm curious what you strapped on today. So we'll 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 come back to that. Um, but I'll shut up. You fill in the blanks. Tell us a bit about you, please. Well, you, you covered most of the important things. Um, technically, I'm Irish. I was born in Dublin, um, but I, I, I certainly give off a bit of an English vibe because I grew up in Manchester. So I've been there nearly all my life. Uh, I do now live in Dresden, just a short 45 minutes away from Glasseter, uh, so I can pop over to see my former employers whenever, uh, whenever I like, and I'll actually be visiting them on Monday, so that'll be quite exciting. Uh, prior, prior to working for Nomos and meeting you guys uh, in Basel. I was a watchmaker at that time working for Bremont. Um, 
prior to that, I did my apprenticeship with Omega, which is a bit of a coincidence that now I work for Fratello. It was it was uh, not planned in that way, but I've come full circle to be writing about the watches that I first learned to service. Um, while I was working for Bremont, I started writing for a blog to watch, and that was uh, the first major um, journalistic contribution I made to the industry, and I stayed there off and on for about five years until I took the Fratello gig in January this year. And that's pretty that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Awesome. Which is actually a rare combo, a watchmaker that also knows how to write properly. Well, funnily enough, I wanted to be a writer before I was a watchmaker. I funny. wanted to write about watches, but I didn't want to... I, all the journalism that I read at the time was, was very superficial and stylistic and all reference-heavy. Uh, text. I wanted something a bit more in depth. I wanted to know why a watch was good, so I went and did an apprenticeship, and here we are. I got lucky. Interesting. Interesting. So it's indeed full circle, mm-hmm. and you landed at one of our favorite online watch magazines, anyways Dutch, and at mm-hmm. our mutual friend Robert Jan and the crew, Gerard, Bert, etc. So, so that's amazing, and we're having actually a lot of fun uh, working together again. So yep. thank you for that. Shall we commence with our wrist check? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'll give you yep. three guesses what I'm wearing. Three guesses. I did. We didn't talk about this. No, we didn't. We, didn't prepare no, this. No we never prepared it. Uh, go on, have a guess. What's it going to be? I know the majority of your collection, and what I love about your collection is super diverse. It you is, love isn't it? Yeah. Anything from micro, micro, micro brands, even. Oh, Kickstarter project. I know you funded a few. I have. I know your poker is high up there because it's orange. I'm kind of hoping you worn this one. (laughs) I did wear that one. Yeah, I did. I did. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So we're winning. Hey, you inspired me. I put it onto this uh, brown Nero Biglia strap, which uh, was sent through to us for review. It's really nice. You remember right. you used to wear your world timer on a uh, on a tan oh, or yeah, cognac yeah. style strap. Looked amazing, absolutely gorgeous. So I followed I, your lead. Uh, I love tan. Uh, I love brown. I love leather, and uh, and tan is my favorite color. So yeah, I was wearing my first world tight on that one, indeed. Um, so awesome. should I tell the story? You tell the story. Why we're wearing the same watch? Uh, you you tell it. I can I can interject every so often okay. if necessary. All right. So while we're wearing the both of us is the first ever collab between Ace Jewelers and Nomos. It's a watch we produced together four years ago, I think. I think it was 2017. It was 100 years of... It says it on the back. Yeah, 2017. So... um, Almost exactly. Almost exactly three years ago. It was September. We launched it, I think. so. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And so... For, and it was to honor the 100 years of the art movement, the style in Dutch, which means the style in English. And it's a funky dial. It's, it is. It looks very sober and classic. But if you guys can see, every index of the hour markers has a different width and length. So none of the 12 hour markers is the same. Um, and it's monochrome, so it's a silver dial, black. That's it. Yeah. The clever thing about it, which a lot of people don't get at first, I think, is that this, the hour markers, even though they are different lengths and different thicknesses, are actually the same weight. They amount to the same weight. So if they're yeah. long, they're thin. If they're short, they're fat. Um, yeah. It's very clever. It's a very nuanced style. It takes a 
takes a bit to get used to, but then once you are used to it, looking at it again and again is uh, is pretty satisfying. And it's particularly nice in candlelight if you want to have a romantic moment with your watch, as I noticed in a speakeasy in uh, Oklahoma on one occasion. And, Funny. Uh, we won't ask who you were uh, easily speaking to and what you were drinking. Because uh, <laughs> you're now in an, uh, a, a relationship with a standing woman who you should keep. So yeah, that, 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 that story, that, that story wouldn't uh, understand engagement ring for you just let us know i hope she's not watching right now she definitely is watching so thanks for that i'll uh, i'll be discussing that later no doubt drop oh. us an email sweetheart oh, God, here anyway time. always oh, trying to get me hitched i think it's oh, time i think it's time make an honorable woman out of her don't be, sure don't be millennial don't be modern she doesn't need she doesn't need my uh, my marriage to make her honorable she's plenty honorable enough we could maybe say the reverse. Being with you makes her less honorable, but that's a different discussion. So back to the watch. So we were only a dealer for one year, year plus, and yeah, then we one. were blunt enough in our Amsterdam way of being blunt and straight to the point. We wanted a limited edition. So they started laughing in Glasshutter. Like, really? Limited? We're not doing limited. We have too many. We don't want to do it. Prove yourself. We don't know how good you guys are doing, etc., etc., etc. But here comes Rob. <laughs> he believed in us. He drove the management team in uh, Glasshutter crazy. Yeah, I made a habit of that, I think. Yeah, you drove them mad. So he got it done. So that's the second thing we owe you. And you got it done for us. We launched it together. Dala just showed us a screenshot of the article of the launch event we did in Amersfoort, Dala's hometown, where great. you have an amazing museum, which I highly recommend to visit. So it's the Mondian House. And um, so that was fun. And you won't recognize that dude, but that's his twin. That's Rob's twin. <laughs> <laughs> I look like some kind of, um, I don't know, like a politician about to deliver a devastating yeah or a mad scientist, yeah, or a mad scientist actually it's probably a little bit holding a tiny chair it's like honey i shrunk the kids but yeah, yeah, yeah. 2017 version i hope it does not look well the then chair made by Rietfeld, by the way that was the that was the winning winning piece right that i picked yeah. for the uh yeah i like yeah, that. that was a fun event so so that's how we started off and rob decided to leave us which made us mourn for a long time but Martina took good care of us ever since we launched three more limited editions. And we just showed something uh, very unique to Rob backstage before we went live. We highly recommend everybody to register to our newsletter as we're going to drop something amazing, fresh and new in a few weeks, two, three, four weeks depending how uh, COVID is treating us and the people, the watchmakers, Rob's ex-colleagues in Glasshütte. So it depends how fast they can screw. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's cool. So thank you for putting that on. And uh, I don't know if you want to add something to that, to your watch, your story, this story. Yeah, well, it was a great pleasure for me to be involved in that project as well. Um, 
when I was an apprentice sitting at the bench, dreaming of what career I might be able to have in watchmaking, having some input uh, and agency over a watch that was made by a brand and actually put out there into the world and to become a real thing that people buy and wear was about as, as high as my ambition could have, could have grown. And uh, to see it come to pass with this watch, which I, I obviously bought one myself and wear it frequently. And I haven't just put it on for today. I've been wearing it every day this week. Um, awesome. It's, it's my most warm watch. Uh, and I have, if you follow a Fratello profile, um, that we, we were establishing now, we were establishing the Fratello Lounge so people can build profiles and keep track of their own watch collection. I have 75 watches or so, and this is the one that I wear more frequently than, than any other. Um, it's brilliant. It's a weird one. Um, I wasn't I wasn't 100% convinced that it would be as popular as it turned out to be because I was concerned people wouldn't get it, but the people that did really, really got it. And, yeah, uh, yeah I still get people stopping and, reminded me of this watch as if I'd ever forget about it. And I was still around by the time we released the second one, the club as well, because Dalla and I put that color scheme together ourselves. And, uh, right. you know, I, I've got that one as well. I, I don't wear it as much. In fact, one of my best friends has, has kind of hijacked it. He thinks it's the most glorious watch he's ever seen in his life. He's not even into watches. Smart guy. Um, well, he, he obviously does have an eye for it, so I, I let him wear it most of the time. But I, I'm thinking of putting it on a, uh, on a new strap, actually. I might I might shift it around. I've got my Speedmaster on a. Uh, a yellow dog um, rubber Zulu at the moment, a four-ring Zulu, which was custom-made for me by uh, Alex Moss, who owns Yellow Dog Watch Straps, great company in the UK. I'm thinking of putting that onto the club and giving my Speedy a run out on this new Forstner flat link. Yeah. yeah they, they were kind enough to send us a few of these sample bracelets. So I've got um, I've got all my Nozumi uh, Mecha Quartz chronographs on these classic Forstner bracelets. I stuck my dad's Tissot on one of the Comfit bracelets the other day. And I think that the Nomos club might uh, might make way for a NATO or a Zulu so that my speedy That's can get cool. going. Actually, I think, wears it a lot on... Uh, They're awesome. They're really, really, really I, actually, nice. I put my... Um, my The style one on mm -hmm. the original woven Nomos strap. It's the dark blue one. The lighting is not that amazing, but I, I love it. So, well, you mean the the yeah, one for the Ahoy? Yeah. Oh, cool. I used to wear my Veltite on that strap. It's so comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the Veltite is obviously thicker, so I think this strap is too thin. But the Orion is so slim. Yeah. I love this strap. So, so that's nice. Um, do you want to tell a little anecdote? We we can see if we go here on the background, you'll see the club that Rob is referring at. You'll see a Roman numeral four. You want to explain to our viewers why it was so difficult to do a two-tone numeral, especially what we did together here, because that's why it took very long to produce that dial. You remember about the bleeding you told us? Uh, yeah, it's it, it is difficult. Um, Nomos dials are um, basically the the cent central attraction to the watch because all the focus falls on them. The case shape is obviously very important. But the typography and the crispness of the printing is is paramount to um, the deliverance of a message that Nomos is trying to send with everything that the brand does. The club that we have there uh, is obviously in the Amsterdam set or the Amsterdam series uh, of watches that Ace has produced with Nomos. And there's three of them now. You can see them all in the background. Uh, we've got the the most recent Veltzite, which um, 
I wasn't around for, but absolutely adore. And uh, then the Tangenta at the top, the most recent one, uh, which we recently reviewed on Fratello. Um, I absolutely love it. I think it's miles better than the Biohouse models upon which it's based. And then we have the club. So you'll notice that the club dial is a slightly different color from the other two. It's like a lighter black, as it were. It's more of a ruthenium uh, color than it is a pure flat black. And originally, we wanted a pure flat black, but we had a bit of a problem when it came to building up the colors on the dial at that time. Uh, it was new territory for Nomos, really. So what we didn't want to do was risk losing any kind of clarity or crispness in the application of the red onto the white background, which would have looked a little duller at the time had we uh, not double or triple printed it onto the flat black we looked at initially. So it's a long process, and given the fact it's uh, an inverted panda dial, or reverse panda with the white subdial, it was more complicated to produce than I think the end result immediately looks like it should have been. It's, it's a very clear, crisp, clean dial, I think, and the red numerals really are what make it stand out, but they were not easy. No, and, and what you said to us was that we were a lot of trial and error, a lot of prototype dials went yeah, into tons. the rubbish bin due to the fact that the white and red started bleeding and you got pink, right? But yeah, that yeah. was difficult to master. Yeah, yeah, because if you look very, very closely at the, the club um, numerals, they are very heavily applied. They're rounded, like they're, they're, yeah. they're not inflated. It's not the kind of paint that like puffs up like the old like world war two uh, pocket watches used to use it's not inflatable paint as it were it's yeah. it's actually uh just multi-applied and very heavily yeah. applied you have to do it very precisely or it just goes very badly wrong very yeah. quickly yeah so that's stunning so awesome thank you for sharing should we dive into the ace list seven questions we better had yeah we better had before we run out of time first one what watch of Jewel is your favorite and why? You know, I knew you were going to ask me this. I, I did. I mean, I've, I've watched uh, some of the Ace List episodes and I really tried to think of an answer that I could hang my hat on, um, but it's very, very difficult. Watch and or Jewel. Um, well, I'll leave the Jewel question. Uh, I don't really, I suppose Opal is my favorite stone because uh, I like the colors. But uh, watch. My gut instinct tells me that it's got to be something from HYT, which is probably going to get me uh, get me into a lot of trouble. But I still adore that brand. They absolutely blew me away um, when I went out to Porto Chiavo to visit them in uh, 2015, I guess it was now. It was the first major uh, watch tour that I'd been on. It was before my time at Nomos, so before I'd been all around the States and all around Europe. And I was kind of mesmerized by it and the watches themselves. That technology is still to me. It's just, it's just crazy. It's just so cool. I, I don't like the the later stuff so much when it became a bit more sculptural. But this initial concept with the glass capillary, which is manufactured by the sister company Pressaflex, um, is absolutely remarkable. There's barely any fluid inside that. There's actually two fluids. If for anyone that's not aware of what's going on here, at the bottom you can see two bellows that are angled. Um, in different directions on this model. This is taken from the H2, I guess, if it's got the angled bellows. One of them is full of colored fluid. One of them is full of clear fluid. And these two fluids run through this microcapillary separated by a very fine meniscus. It's imperceptible to us, but there is actually something sitting between the two so they don't bleed into one another. As yeah, one bellow. It's a straight line. It's a straight line. It's, it's completely sharp. Yeah. And this is your hour indication. It's not an hour hand. So where the color disappears and the clear fluid takes over, it's marking the hour. Uh, it is not luminous, but it is. It, it does like 
reflect light very well. Um, what's the word? Is it phosphorescent or it's one of the two? It's not. I always get confused. Yeah. So um, it, or luminous. Some of the later models actually do have a track of lume beneath the capillary. So and maybe black fluid in the capillary, and that's a really cool. Look. Colors blue. Yep, yep, red and blue, especially, and this new jet black one that they have in some of the later stuff. Very cool. And as one bellow de um, depresses, the other one expands, and uh, the two fluids are pushed back and forwards like this. And when it gets to the end of uh, its track around the dial, it goes back into the original bellow in a retrograde function. It's just, it's just so different. There are, there are some really classic watches. My, my favorite newest brand that I've just encountered at the start of this year is Tulloch, um, founded by a, a Kiwi guy, uh, Shane Tulloch, who's currently based in New York. Uh, he's uh, put out this first watch, the TO1, uh, that is just absolutely gorgeous. as the old regulator-style dial and a really symmetrical movement, which appeals to me. Um, so when it comes to traditional style of watches, yeah, I'd say Tulloch is really yeah. rocketing up there. There it is. Well, that's amazing. He's so fast on the, on the keyboard, old Dalla. Yeah, beautiful stuff. And so, uh, he's so this also proves you're super modern, but you also go back to classic. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a mixed bag, I guess. Uh, I mean, I have a huge collection of G-Shocks as well that I actually wear and use uh, in the environment for which they're intended. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a bit of a, I suppose I'm a bit of an eclectic person, although I never think of it like that. I don't set out to be that way. I just, I like well, good design. We share, we share that passion. It's a wide range of, of what makes us thick, literally in our watch collecting and passions. But you've mentioned two watches that you don't own. So they're on your wrist list, your wish list for your wrist. What uh, in yeah, your right. current collection is one of your favorites? Oh, goodness me. Well, I mean, this one, this one's right up there. It is. Um, okay, we discussed that one. So I, I often ask myself, and this is the only way I can really do it, is what would be the last watch I'd be willing to part with in my collection? So if yeah. I had to give them all away, if I had to sell them for whatever reason, you know, the Speedmaster, the 1998 Broad Arrow um, replica, 57 replica that I've got, uh, I love it. I wear it an awful lot, probably the second in my collection uh, rotation after this one. Um, but that it wouldn't be that. It wouldn't. That wouldn't be the last one to go. Um, I love my Laventure Marine. This is one of those micro brands on Kickstarter that I always bang on about. And I, I absolutely adore that green dial version. Um, that one is right there. It, it's probably in the number two position. But the one that I'd be most loath to say goodbye to is actually my Breitling Aerospace. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, did you not? No, you know I love I the Aerospace. Say that. No. Okay. So the, the reason behind it is not just the fact that it's one of the Everest skydive special editions from 2009 yeah. there's only 25 pieces of it in the world which is amazing i got it for an absolute song from a uk jewelers that had, had it sitting in the back for 10 years and then they put it on sale last year with like a zero percent finance offer i think i paid 1500 pounds for it and yeah. i paid a, a, an amount up front and then just paid the rest off over the year because there was no reason why not to um but the reason is when i graduated from the british school of watchmaking I had I had no money. I had no watches. I had a couple of Casio F91Ws that I treasured and still do. Uh, and I had nothing to wear to our graduation at the Midland Hotel in Manchester, and I felt a bit ashamed by it. And my friend Aaron Shirley, who did his apprenticeship with Breitling, lent me his aerospace mm. for that event. And so I always promised myself that if I ever had any kind of money, or, you know, I had the means to buy one of these watches and it became available, I would. And uh, I wanted a dark dial. That was about it as far as my remit went. And uh, 
when it popped up. I couldn't believe my luck. And yeah, that's the last one I'd let go. And you know, the funny thing is I'd forgotten this. I didn't do this deliberately. I wear it on an ace strap that you gave me for my birthday a couple of years ago. So thanks for that. What is it, the gray camo? Yeah, gray camo. Yeah, because the standard Brightling strap is too big for me and I need to go to Grenchen to get a uh, get a smaller one and, and have it uh, put through their blockchain certification process. But with traveling restricted as it is, it's not possible. It's interesting though. So that's the red line in all of these conversations, and especially question one, is it's the story behind the watch, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, it's course. not so much, the, definitely not the value. It's definitely not the brand always but it's the story behind it because we share that passion for aerospace you and i dala loves it as well i know Hirad loves his aerospaces Obadiah not so much i think he did but just buy one though he bought one recently he did yeah of course he got bitten by the bug so and for me it's always um my dad loved Breitling, so he always had the chronomats back in 83, 84, 85. He had also the, the, the aerospace because the Israeli pilots love the aerospace still till today. And we had all these airline crews come, the IBF and etc. So that always stuck with me. And that's the story because I looked up obviously to my dad and, and these pilots that came in when I was a little kid, always rocking usually a two-tone on the flexible strap. Nice. So yeah, here's my dad. So in a, in a fighting, uh, trip, I don't know if he's rocking his aerospace. So yeah, so cool to see. It'd be great if that was a live link up and that's actually what you're yeah. seeing. Right now. <laughs> yeah, Ramon style. All right. Yeah. What did you want to be when you grew up? How far back do you want to go? So when I was a little tiny kid? This is your platform. You're, you, you can see. It's your stepping stone. So... Um, the first thing I remember wanting to be, and I had a lot of dreams as a kid, and I think I flipped about quite a lot, which I, if you know me very well, you know I'm always changing in direction very quickly. So um, no surprises to know there's been a few dreams from childhood that have lingered. First, I wanted to be an astronaut, and uh, I was I was a member of a Cub Scout group mm -hmm. when I was little, and we could earn these little badges to put on our uniforms. And uh, my troop had very limited means we didn't really have access to a lot of the stuff that was uh, the the bigger uh, better funded areas did so we could only do one or two badges i had like five scientist badges and four hobby badges and i kept accruing these astronomy badges and i was making things like uh, telescopes out of washing up liquid bottles that you could put constellations slide little constellations into and the leader of the troop asked me why i kept doing these astronomy um, badges and I said well I want to be an astronaut when I grew up and she looked at me <laughs> I still remember it now like there was a lot of pity in her eyes and she just told me that um, that I wasn't tall enough and I've never I'm not a tall guy at all I'm 170 centimeters for anyone that, that cares to know and uh, I don't think that that should preclude you from being an astronaut I'm pretty sure that it doesn't and I'm pretty sure that in the early 90s when she must have told me this um, there had been astronauts shorter than me so uh at the time, I was devastated and I just took it as gospel. And so I moved on to my next dream of being a cross-channel ferry captain. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm very, I like routines. I like very repetitive things. Holland or France? Just France. Just Dover to Calais, Calais to Dover, Dover to Calais. I just go back and forward, what back and forward. Holland? 
Well, I'd ne- I'd, Holland was just not on my radar at the time. When we were kids, we used to go camping once a year in France. So we would take this this boat, and I loved it. I, I'm a keen kayaker now, and I've sailed a little bit in the past, although not very good at it. My nickname at the sailing club was Captain Capsize because I was the only person able to sink sink the training boat. I, terrible weight distribution, apparently. But um, the, my love of like the sea and the ocean and whatnot is was uh, built up by these uh, cross-channel ferry um, journeys. But then quite depressingly, I got convinced when I was about 12 years old that I wouldn't be able to have a family if I had uh, a job like that. I, I never countenance the possibility of traveling all around the world for a watch brand and how disruptive that would be to relationships and, and uh, the possibility of having children. But there we go. So I shelved that idea and focused on becoming a professional cyclist. And uh, that was what I wanted to do until I got quite badly run over in my late teens and broke quite a few bones. And uh, yeah, that kind of ended my cycling career, which was probably not going to be too promising. But if I'd got to ride the Tour de France once, that would have been that would have been nice. Interesting. So, that Interesting. was it. Good. Um, third question. Who's your role model? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, when I was a kid, it was uh, Richard Varong, the French cyclist, the mountain climber, uh, specialist in climbing mountains and trying to get away with blood doping, um, which uh, is a good way to sort of strip someone down from that pedestal if you care about those things, which I didn't because I was adamant as a child that the entire peloton or at least the riders we cared about were all taking drugs anyway. So uh, Veronk was my uh, my hero and I suppose role model, even through that rather dark period in the late 90s. Um, later on in life, it's, it's always been athletes. It's always been sports people. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is my favorite wide receiver, my favorite player uh, in the NFL, which is my first yeah. love. Um, and he's a great, great guy, a great figure in his community, intelligent, well-spoken, a great example to kids. I think I'm a bit too old to to need that kind of life example now, but I respect him a great deal. I just think, yeah, athletes, the hundreds of them, I could list them all, but we've only got an hour, so. Nice. All right. So let's move on quickly because we're having questions coming in. So cool. I'll also give... Uh, our viewers a platform to ask questions and interact with us because I warned that we're chatterboxes, so we're already halfway, so we need to get going. Uh, question four, if you could teleport tomorrow, where would you go? I would go back to Nashville and I would sit um, upstairs in the red bar on the corner of Broadway and probably smoke myself into a stupor while watching uh, country music stars all night long. But I'm not sure I want to go there in lockdown. I think it would depress me too much. But as soon as uh, things are back to normal, uh, should that ever Come to pass Nashville. And you visited there because you travel the all of North America for normals, right? Yeah, uh, I got away with this one. Um, I, I got to give credit to to Merlin, my old uh, my old boss uh, in New York. Uh, I was he dumped me in Evansville, Indiana. No offense to Evansville, cool place. I love Indiana as a state as well. Awesome. Some of my best memories are from there. But he dumped me there on Friday night, and there wasn't a whole lot to do. And I noticed. Um, being a bit of an America file, that I was only a couple of hours on a Greyhound away from Nashville. I'd never been there. I'm a massive country music fan. And uh, I thought, hell, you know, I'll see if I can swing this. So I, I asked him, I said, you know, straight up, I want to go to Nashville for the weekend. I don't want to spend the weekend in uh, South Indiana. And he said, yeah, fine, go check out a retailer while you're there on Saturday and just, you know, call it a break. So I did. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Cool. Nice. What book are you currently reading? 
Um, although I'm sounding quite one-dimensional, I'm reading a book called uh, Paper Lion by George Plimpton. It's uh, a bit of gonzo journalism about a guy Clinton. that managed... Huh? Plimpton or Clinton? C or P? P. Plimpton. Uh, he's a journalist that managed to uh, wangle his way onto the Detroit Lions uh, squad um, for a season. Of, of American uh, football. Of American football. Um, he was on there, it, technically on the books as like a third string quarterback. No real hope of seeing the field at all, but it, he wanted to write about a team from the inside out. So my uh, my best mate, uh, Max, he bought me that book for uh, for my birthday a few years ago. Oh, I, there it is, right there. That's it. So... More cool. football, more sports, yeah. So where did you pick up the passion for American football? Uh, my, my dad wanted me to be a, uh, a pro athlete in some description. He was a, a pretty decent marathon runner himself. And uh, he raised me and my brother in uh, a kind of military environment to make sure that we could uh, hold our own on a sporting field. And when I was three years old, he decided that I was old enough to focus on a sport. So he spent a few months kicking and throwing everything he could find at me to see what I could catch or respond to. And apparently I could catch an American football. In fact, you know, believe it or not, hold on a second. That's it. <laughs> I still have it. This is the ball that he gave me when I was three years old. Uh, it's a Denver Broncos ball. Um, yeah, I've had it with me ever since. Uh, he bought me that and it started an obsession, which has just spiraled way out of control. So, cool. yeah. Awesome story. Sixth question is, what do you think is going to be the color of 2021? I, I've got a pretty good record of, of, get, of guessing this. So I'm quite confident with my answer of, I think it's going to be something in the teal sphere. Um, I know teal... A few years ago in 2017, there was a, a color, I can't remember the name of it, it had some stupid name, like they often do, like sea foam mist or something, was voted the most popular color in the world. And it was like a, a blue, green, teal color. I think that we're going in that direction now. I think it, people have suddenly realized that teal works quite nicely uh, with like a sort of uh, cream or gray uh, background and accented with other hot colors to give a kind of neo-vintage vibe, which I think the watchmaking industry is experiencing as well as a fashion industry. So I'd say probably some kind of teal, not a dark one, like a mid-teal, I guess. Okay, interesting. It's the first time we heard it on the show, so... Oh, what did other people say? It's, obviously, it's blue, 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 green, uh, green, green, green. No, blue's 2020. You need to, you yeah, need to get it's, it's somewhere in between. This trend is going on already for more than three years longer green green was 2020 2019 even in jewelry we saw it a bit earlier um but i think it's really in uh, multicolor it's tutti fruity it's everything well that's why i put blue and green together you see i was, I was just kind of hedging my bets somewhere in between the two good one good one that's a good one um last question obviously you've been to <laughs> you've visited us often what is your favorite memory in Amsterdam? Uh, well, we share a lot of good memories, uh, professionally speaking, um, you know, working together on the digital edition was, was a great period of time. And it was lovely being there with you and Martina and Dalla and Tam Tamara and the rest of the team. Um, personally though, my, my best memory is in Mulligan's Irish music bar, um, being gifted a Guinness and a baby Guinness by Lloyd O'Mahony, um, the barman there, uh, who plays uh, Gaelic football for Amsterdam, I believe. Uh, nice, nice guy who I got to know. Um, 
as I, as I mentioned, I was I was born in Ireland, and I have a lot of affection for Irish music, and generally troll uh, the city streets looking for a bar that has it wafting out of its windows whenever I'm on the road. So Mulligans is my favourite place. Uh, where is it in Amsterdam, Argus Weiss? Oh, uh, where is it? That's uh, it is not too far from from uh, Königsplein, actually. Uh, the address is on on the Amstel, definitely. You know. Um, Goodness me, I'm trying to give directions in Amsterdam now. If you walked out of um, where Ace and Spire was and then you took a right and you carried on walking underneath the big porcelain uh, tower and then you stick on that road to the right and keep the river on your left, it's kind of at the end of that road. Yeah, there's a picture of it there. I think I'm – am I close with my directions there? I'm getting – I think I'm in the right kind of zone. Um, I always – actually, for years, I had it in the wrong place in my memory. I had it on the – had it nearer to the central station. I had it like a few streets up, but it's about 800 meters yeah. away from where I thought it was. But I could find my way there in the dark right now. So as I often, as I often do. So, yeah. All right. Awesome. So those were the seven questions. I have a bonus question for you. Okay. You and I have been uh, discussing actually for years that millimeters of a case with don't say anything right this is important everything is about proportions three-dimensional uh-huh. and you you cracked the code well and i got i got part I with that. enough credit for it yeah <laughs> so i want you to lay down your eureka moment about the visual index the eureka moment of when i realized that we were looking at it in the wrong way or the eureka moment of when i kind of figured out how to express what it is how you came about to that eureka moment uh okay well the visual impact index is something that i created a few months ago um after a few weeks of intense thought to try and describe to people who couldn't see a watch in person as many of us are unable to do um in these days uh how the watch actually appeared, not how it wore. This is kind of a key distinction. A lot of people, I think, treat it as a wearability index, but that is something I am working on with the visual impact index in mind as a component thereof. But wearability is far harder to distill into a mathematical formula simply because everybody's wrists uh, are not just different sizes, but different shapes. And they are on the end of arms that are different lengths and different thicknesses. Uh, and different skin tones and all of these things do play into wearability the visual impact index is supposed to express how true to size a watch looks when it is off the wrist you will notice that some watches um, have diameters that don't seem to express their true appearance and the best example i have in my collection is the one on my wrist right now the uh, nomos orion 38 it has an edge-to-edge sapphire basically non-existent curvaceous bezel um, and a white dial with very little interrupting it whatsoever. But most importantly, the ratio of case thickness to its diameter means that it wears like a dinner plate, as I often say, just wide and flat and close to the wrist. If you put it through the visual impact index, which takes into account things like bezel width and dial decoration, which can also uh, busy up a dial and make it appear smaller, 
It comes out somewhere in the region of 42, is it, or 43 millimeters, which might sound enormous, but relatively speaking, it's kind of true because if you put it next to a 42 millimeter Breitling Aerospace, for example, which isn't a particularly thick watch, although it does possess a large bezel, um, it looks as big, if not bigger. And so you, you can kind of you kind of get a feel for it when you've had a lot of watches passing through your hands. Some are true to size, some are not. Um, watch designers, I think, could use this index to go backwards, to design backwards, to try and get a watch to come out true to size. Um, be aware of its uh, perfect proportions, which is based around the golden ratio. I decided that, I think, was it the radius I ended up using the case should be? Yeah, the thickness should be, the radius should be 1.6 of the thickness. Um, it might sound a bit spurious looking back on it now, but I went through uh, hundreds of different versions of this uh, using the measurements in different ways um, to get really to an answer that just felt right. And I used I used the Orient Star model that's in the article Dallas scrolling through now and the Orion as my um, guinea pigs. And when I got to a situation that seemed to make sense with tweaks that I added in along the way, I think I changed the, the uh, computation aspect of the bezel thickness as well in the end. Uh, I just ran through 100 watches through it and I was pretty pretty satisfied with with how it came out it was i think it expressed exactly what i wanted it to express it is by no means perfect it is certainly not uh an absolute metric but i think it is useful certainly as a starting point for discussion and a lot of people have chimed in with suggestions of how to improve it although most of those suggestions do feed more into a wearability index than a visual impact index and i, I will build that in time Give me so some time. Did you listen to my advice to register VII.com or Visual Index? I did. I bought I it. Yeah. So I, I, I was. Think I, actually, uh, I think I got VII.watch. I think is what okay. I got. So I told them to pr produce an online tool, which you, for now you can use that article on FatelloWatches.com. Just Google Visual Impact Index, find that article. Super interesting. I want to ask you to run a test to my theory that okay. Omega and a lot of producers actually use this analogy, this philosophy or this theory. Every black version of a watch that's based on the steel model, let's say, visually black looks smaller. That's why a lot of people wear black clothing. It makes you look slimmer. It's that psychological effect or visual effect. So often they grow the black version versus the steel version. So it optically looks the same case diameter. Take a Seamaster 300 diver. Uh -huh. the ceramic version is two millimeters bigger, about 5% on average bigger than the steel one. Yep. Take all the dark sides. They're always 44, never in the 42 case. Yep. Again, millimeters plus, more. Um, IDMC does it a lot. The black ones yeah. are always bigger than the steel versions. So I would I want to put in a request, write an article about that, how that relates back to the VII. If that's true, and if the brands use it. And then my second question was: has it been picked up ever since you wrote that article about a year ago, less than a year ago? I mean, has it been picked up by brands? Uh it was only a few months, I guess. Um only a couple of months, perhaps. I mean, I've only been with Fratello since January, so it was probably June or May or something along those lines I wrote it. Yeah. Uh, so to the second question first, um, 
I did get a, a little note via RJ from from someone in the product development team at Omega that had commented that it was very interesting that they would like look at it. Um, I don't know if brands are using it. They're trying to reverse engineer uh, the perfect proportion to watch from it. Um, bear in mind, of course, this really it doesn't compensate for lugs as well. This is what the wearability index will try and account for. So you can't use it to. To design a watch from start to finish you can use yeah. it to balance the thickness the width and dial and bezel elements and i think that people should maybe try and do that it might be quite interesting to see what the outcome is but um it isn't it isn't by any means like a start to finish guide to your first question or post postulation of the black issue a lot of people mentioned this they said the color of the case was something that i needed to factor into it again i think it's probably more down to wearability because it's a lot of how it sits on your wrist and how it appears against your skin as a background. But you're right that people say black is slimming. I'm not sure as uh, someone that did work quite a bit in the fashion sphere before becoming a watchmaker, that it is entirely true. I think that black really enhances uh, what you have to begin with. So if you are slim already, black will definitely make you look even slimmer if you're not so slim however it can have the opposite effect and you know we end up with the black hole theory as i used to call it and i think that's kind of true of watches as well you're totally right your example of the seamaster 300m is a perfect one how they grew the case for a couple of a couple of millimeters and did it in black cool looking watch that's the one without the date as well right 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 i like it that's the diver 300 that they did without date yeah no date. i really i really like that but I, I lament its size. I really don't want it in the bigger size. I want it. I want it smaller. If anything, um, I don't think it's necessary. I think that the problem you end up with uh, with these larger black watches is that they 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 really just dominate and consume like all of that wrist area. They, they're far more visually impacting. Can you use black in a way like if you made a black case version of the Nomos Orion Thirty Eight? Would it be even smaller? Quite possibly, yes. But if you yeah, I think there's a cutoff point. I, I will study that in a new article in the future. Okay, I'll make a note of it. I'll put it on the list. And in daily uh, interaction with consumers and consumers here in our boutiques, it, it works because consumers don't spot when they try on that bla black or steel diver. Mm -hmm. And then in the steel, you can go for black or blue, right? Mm -hmm. That also gives you an effect. The blue one always looks bigger of the three. And those that have a good eye for details and let it sink in, you can't buy a watch in a minute. You need to absorb it. You need to feel it. Hang out with the watch. Only then those that have a good eye for details start noticing, hey, is the black bigger? It's only after a while when they notice it. So, so that's interesting. Listen, Rob, we did already three quarters. We have questions coming in. Okay. I want to the questions. If we have time, I have a zillion more questions for you. If our viewers say that this was a good session, I would love to book you for a second one. Fine, fine. Yep. Um, so we got a few questions sent to us beforehand by viewers. Cool, cool, cool. I couldn't join live. And this is a tricky one. I want to ask you to reverse engineer and guess who sent this one. I'm not going to tell you the name. Oh, that's that's from RJ, from, uh, from his lordship. Uh, the answer okay, is... So, the answer is me. I'm the coolest lord I know. Okay, I'm so also a lord. I'm, you know. reading, I'm reading out all the questions because we post this afterwards as podcast. So those that are listening and now watching. So somebody wrote, who's the coolest lord in capital lord you know? 
And I wanted to rub the guest who read this, and that's his colleague and the founder of Telewatch is Robert Yan. We call him RJ. And you guys are goofballs. You're goofing around like crazy. Yeah, he's an international mischief maker. Comment or question. What what sorry? What's why is he asking you who's the oh, well so I, I um I have his uh lairdship or lordship that my, my brother bought me for my birthday, you know, one of these nonsense little packages where you own a square foot of some land in Scotland or whatnot. And he got it for me years ago. And for years and years and years, I was known as Laird Nuds. It was my Facebook name. It was every kind of profile. There was three Robs in our group of friends. So I was just Laird, Lairdy pants and all sorts of things came from it. Um, funnily enough, about four or five years ago, I dropped the Laird thing because people started calling me RJ and my middle name is James. So um, I was on Facebook, RJ Nuds. In fact, I think when we became friends, I was probably RJ, spelled A-R-J-A-Y. And uh, I stuck with that until I met this guy, this goofball from The Hague, who, you know, I, I kind of like the guy. Um, I mean, I have to work with him, so we, we get on all right. I stupidly let slip to him one day that I had this lordship. I think I was demanding that he referred to me as a lord or something along those lines. And uh, to combat this, he bought himself and his daughter, Charlotte, a lordship. She's now Lady Lady Charlotte, and he's Lord Silly Pants. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is this is this is the the origin of that question. And the answer to it is is me. I am the coolest lord I know. Okay, yeah, you can uh, rebuttal. So, on topic of being colleagues, so how did that come about? So, RJ was the founder. I yep. believe he was the managing editor. Before yeah. the board, I know he doesn't care about titles. All you guys on the team are down to earth, besides your silly lordships and <laughs> joking around. I think you guys have too much time on your hands. I'm going to send more press releases to you guys oh, God, no, instead of this this nonsense. But <laughs> our time, RJ, our valuable sixty minutes here, but. Uh, so what happened? How did you take the title, the lordship of Fratello? The lord of Fratello. Um, managing editor. How did that I, go about? I stormed his battlements on a white steed and ran him through with a lance. And uh, then I planted my flag in the land that was formerly his and claimed it as my own. Simple. Just old school, you know? Like, okay. <laughs> that's it. Right, enough, enough, enough. We, I don't want to waste more time. We have, we have valuable feedback. Dala, thank you for the screen. Kick it off, please. I'm fed up. So, okay. on YouTube, watch for Rocky, our, 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 our resident guest and fan. Right. Hi, Rob. How's life? Good to see you on the ace list. What do you like most? Retailing, watchmaking, writing, representing, watch brands, or managing? Hmm. Hi, Rocky. Thanks for the question. Um, some good memories of hanging out in the past. Looking forward to seeing you when we can actually travel again. Um, what do I like most? Good grief. I, I love writing. Uh, writing was always my passion. I think it's of all those things, it's probably the one that I'm, I'm best at. Um, I have to do a lot of it as a managing editor. And uh, some sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming with the amount of words that I, I write and read every month. Grammarly constantly reminds me of how many words I've passed my eyes over every month and it's well in excess of a million these days which is it's quite a lot um so that can be quite draining i i miss watchmaking a huge amount and would love to go back to i mean i will do things um myself 
in the future for sure. Um, but I I never liked the uh, the pressure, the time pressure of watchmaking uh, in a service center, for example. You know, I'd like to create something. I like designing. I particularly like making dials, um, enameling, and whatnot. That is that's really where my manual skill um, found found its feet. Um, but I think, to be honest, what I actually like out of all of these things is maybe managing. I enjoy working with a team of people uh, a lot. Uh, I think I'm pretty good at delegating. I, I don't. I'm not a control freak. Um, I like. I, I don't like to micromanage. Coffee team to comment on that if they concur with you. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they wouldn't. But um, rest assured, team. Uh, if you if you don't think that I'm a micromanager, you know. They can come I see that they have too much time on their hands. Yeah, they're all free. None of them Look have jobs. What came in on YouTube as well. Did he eat peanut butter this morning? Somebody at the Fratello desk is asking, who's this? Come oh, there. well, it's probably RJ again, just abusing multiple accounts as he, as he normally does. I sent you an email. I'm still waiting for a reply. Go answer my email instead of bothering us on this live show. Um, do you answer peanut butter, though? No, I'm I'm mildly uh, allergic to peanuts, uh, which created a interesting situation when they fed me Joss Brinkies on my first trip to the Hay. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Bye. Right. Another colleague, Gerard. Goodness gracious me! Asking what's Rob's favorite Dutch snack food? Bit of balen, bit of bit of balen. Bit of Question: What flavor? Just a classic. Classic. Ragu. With view, no, classic, classic, classic. All right. Um, Ed Ashby on YouTube ah. asking, "When is the trip to the Isle of Man for a pint happening?" You know this guy, Ed. He's a. Uh, we were at watch school together. Ed's uh, Ed's Ed was a year above me. Um, quite a few years younger, I think, if I remember rightly. He's a bit of a prodigy. Fantastic, fantastic skill. Far, far more skill with uh, tools in his hand than I ever had. And he did his apprenticeship for Cartier. Now works for Roger Smith on the Isle of Man, which is right. why he wants me to come visit him, along with another good friend of mine, uh, Sean Morris. So I, I hope soon. Ed is the answer. Congratulations on your recent marriage. Um, I followed it keenly on Facebook, and I'm sorry I wasn't able to get out there for it. But yeah, as soon as possible. If you give me a couch to sleep on, even sooner. Nice. Congrats, Ed, and thank you for commenting and watching. William is writing on YouTube. Great show, guys. Thank you so much for all the insights. Very interesting. Thank you for watching again, William. We're happy with your support. Good thank man. you for that. Um, I see Watch Fratelli sent a few questions. Um, he writes on YouTube, why did you leave Nomos and do you own a Nomos? Well, he's proven that he owns Nomos watches still. Um, would you care to answer for this first part of the question, please? Yeah, I think um, it was just it was the right time to move on to a new challenge. And I'd always intended uh, in the back of my mind to go back to journalism um, when I had the chance. And it's uh, it's important in watch companies to always have the right team and to make sure that that team is in the right frame of mind to deliver the results that the brand desires. And sometimes that leads to people moving on and the team recycling when uh, you serve your purpose, as it were. And I think I did a good job for Nomos for the three years that I was there, but it was definitely time for me to step back from all the traveling. I was really struggling um, with the pace of it. I was frequently on the road for uh, three, five weeks living out of hand luggage and uh, there was no respite. And 
yeah, I didn't feel I was as effective as I could have been. So it was the right right decision at the time um, to move on. Thank you, Telly, for watching and joining. Um, a few more minutes left. I want to pick up a last question from David Halkema. He sent this beforehand. He asks, is it okay to wear a watch whilst cycling, either hand-wound or self-winding? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's okay. Um, you know, uh, certainly modern watches are tested to the extreme of the kind of shocks and impacts they can survive. Um, if you look at some of the Omega Aquaterra range designed specifically around like surviving the G-force of a golf swing, you know, the ones that McElroy promotes, for example, they'd be more than more than capable of uh, surviving the, the bumps in the road that you might encounter. Uh, if you're if you're doing uh, Ghent Veglam on the cobblestones, you might want to stick with a quartz swatch maybe and uh, certainly a higher higher train count something around 36,000 vph might be better than a, than a slower count of 18,000 or or 216 um but i think it's fine um it depends what you what you want to use it for if you're wearing it so that you can check your progress when you get to a coffee shop or a wine bar for a little bit of a pit stop then go ahead and wear a mechanical if you just want pure performance i just wear a cheap quartz watch or just stick with a bike computer but you'll right. be fine yeah Thank you, David, for asking. Don't fall um, off, though. Do not fall off. No, I have had to repair some horrendously mangled watches from cyclists and motorcyclists that have come off, unfortunately. So we we did too, including all the collarbones. Yeah, sad times. Fixed. Um, our next episode is next week at four p.m. with I think your buddy as well, Adam Kraniotz. He's the founder of the Red Bar crew today group i know you founded co-founded the manchester chapter right yeah i was one of the one of the original members of the manchester cha chapter i don't so, know adam personally but um i am a big fan of his work so that promises to be an exciting episode as well because he's an even bigger goofball than you i think he's lord goofball in the watch industry hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. does he have a lordship though does he have a lordship no no I don't want the lordship him. we're issuing right now well, that's, so that's Adam, we are looking forward to seeing you next week. He also nowadays writes for Revolution. I think he runs the North America operations for our friend Waiko. So that promises to be a fun episode. So tune in next week. Rob, I want to thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. As usual, speaking and seeing you. Hope to see you soon in the Netherlands over yeah. a pint and some bitterballa. Yes. We'll leave out the peanuts and the peanut butter. <laughs> You're a good man. So, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. See you soon, buddy. See you soon. Take care. And thank you to all the viewers for watching again. We love the passion. Bye.